This is the first of a new format where I'll be diving into individual stories and will attempt to do this on a daily basis, time permitting. We start with the story of the truckers blockade that is happening in Poland and Slovakia. This story is about Polish truckers blocking the crossings at the Ukrainian border. Miles-long queues may affect energy resources and supplies. Kiev has said this situation is before critical, but that implies that it may become critical at some point, not just for society, but for the war effort as well. Around 3,000 trucks, including those carrying fuel and humanitarian aid, are stuck on the Polish side of the border for more than 20 days due to a blockade by Polish truck drivers. Trucks were backed up more than 30 kilometres at the time of writing from the Yahudin crossing, more than 10 kilometres towards Ravoruska, and more than 16 kilometres towards the Krakiewicz crossing. Ukrainian carriers held a rally in response to the Polish protesters blocking it, calling on them to fight together for victory against the Russian aggressor. And it's worth repeating, this is a blockade of a country that's at war. It is the people who are part of an ally attacking Ukraine. And that enemy, who in fact is the Russian state, who they are aiding in this blockade, that is a state that has made dire threats against the Polish state and the Polish people. A blockade of essential humanitarian supplies, and possibly it may also be preventing some military gear from getting through. The cynicism and inhumanity of this action should shock people. Of course, there are some public statements about what the dispute is about, but as you start to look at those, they unravel very quickly. Polish farmers are afraid of cheap Ukrainian wheat, were afraid of Ukrainian truckers, were being swamped by their trucks, says Jacek Sokol. Prioritizing your own well-being over European security and peace, prioritizing your own well-being over Ukrainian lives, that does not seem to me to be a moral case. And of course, the Polish blockade by the drivers violates a considerable number of agreements and European laws. The blockade results in major shortages in Ukraine and affects the transportation of fuels and humanitarian aid, as we've said. As a result, autogas has doubled in price in Ukraine since the blockade began, and two Ukrainian drivers have died in the standoff as the temperatures started to drop. It is panning out to be potentially a very harsh winter. So if this strike does carry on, as has been suggested, for another couple of months, it could have dire consequences. What is happening in Poland and Slovakia helps Russia in its attempt to defeat Ukraine and to make the lives of Ukrainians more difficult. I'm now going to talk to Dean Joyce, who has experience of how these active measures play out through the structure and organisation of unions. His experiences in particular to Australia, but some of these principles no doubt are the same. We're going to talk about how the ringleaders who may be benefiting materially and may have ideological reasons for siding with Russia managed to convince their rank and file members to take actions which fundamentally are against their own interests and, of course, are fundamentally immoral.
So, Dean, uh, thank you for joining us uh, on this story about the Polish uh, truck strike. You, of course, have not only direct experience of how the transportation industry works and, of course, the uh, civilian negotiations that may well be taking place, um, but you also have some insights into how the penetration of unions actually takes place if we're talking about Russian active measures. That is secret service activity designed to destabilize uh, societies or destabilize your enemy or their transportation. We suspect that this is going on in this case. Um, could you tell me a little bit about your background and your experience uh, in terms of these active measures and how they play out within union type organizations and structures? My background is I grew up in the Australian and British merchant navies. And uh, I was basically I, uh, uh, trained to be a union breaker um, because at the time, an extremely militant union was controlling the um, uh, water-land interface, the wharf, uh, in Australia. It was called the Siemens Union of Australia. And it was a, um, it was a sister union to the Soviet Socialist Union, and all I can say about that experience is um, uh, the criminality inside uh, that Soviet uh, system. And <clears throat> by extension, you, you're basically talking about the KGB at the time. So it would be the FSB now. It's insane. So how, how I was able to uh, break that union, I was a transformation agent inside the union, uh, changing their perspective. And their perspective was all about strength and violence that that's the baseline and to, so to disrupt a union like that like say so what's going on with the polish uh, truckers <laughs> you'll have a extreme right-wing element that is um, um driving this uh, initiative it's it, it's not legitimate um because uh, if you look at the numbers polish truckers are doing very very well uh, they have a a huge percentage of market share as a collective, not as individuals, but as a collective in Europe, uh, they handle a huge amount of uh, uh, freight. So they're doing well. You know, truck driver, when they're running, they're doing well. Uh, it's, it's, not a, it's not a legitimate, you know, looking after your family kind of complaint, but that's how, they, that's how these militant unions drive it. They'll sell, they'll sell it to the union members as security, uh, looking after your family, and, and that's how they motivate the masses inside the union. But you have a small core at the top of the union who don't give a shit about that. They're all on the take. They're all about, they're, they're corrupt. And they'll be being paid by the FSB a significant amount of money to make it worth their while to cause uh, damage in the transportation sector. Because this is something that they don't understand as well. Is because of this strike, in 20 years' time, you won't have Polish truck drivers. They don't realise that. They, the guys on the ground, the Polish truck drivers doing the work, the, the, the decent, you know, sold of the earth guys, they don't know that. It's, it, it, they're creating an intolerable situation. And what do governments do when they're faced with an intolerable situation? They get rid of it and come full circle. That's what I... What I did. We mentioned a couple of things there. We've mentioned motivations, and I think these are really important. So, first of all, the truck drivers that are really behind the strike are not huge masses of people. There are physically a very small number of trucks, and behind them, an even smaller number of people. You've mentioned mm -hmm. two motivations here one is ideological, and one is material. 
So you've got money, criminality, etc., which is on material self-interest side. And you've also got an ideological dotted line, which we've mentioned earlier in the segment. There are clear dotted lines between the Polish far-right organizations uh, and their Russian counterparts. And they there are also indications that they have pushed Kremlin narratives around Crimea, Donbass. So we've got that association. Out of these two motivations, which is the most important? Or, or is that a meaningless question? Are they part of the same thing? It's money, criminality, analogy, ideology, power all mixed in together. For me, I, I was a very young man. I was 18 years old when I, I didn't know what was happening, you know, what I was being trained for. The, the, the level of violence is, is kind of like Inglorious Bastards is, uh, you know, Quentin Tarantino movie um, where people are getting their heads smacked in and, uh, you know, dying and all the rest. That's nothing because uh, I did suffer from PTSD from the whole experience. So when speaking to, you know, uh, ideologies and stuff, the, 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 the normal way of thinking about unions, uh, militant unions, uh, extreme violence, that that's the union leaders are about meaning and they're not about security all the union members are about security looking after their family looking after their mates and all the rest but the union leaders are about meaning and honest to god um their meaning is confused they use the wrong units called money and the more money i can make before i retire the better i am and so they take the money from the fsb it's like I, I guess in the United States, you'd call it uh, black garbage bag money. So they'll take that $500,000 they're paying, being paid to be a real um, instigator. Uh, they'll pay uh, 12 or, or 15 other guys, their thugs, their henchmen, to uh, carry out this stuff. Just just go block, just go block that five-lane highway, not a problem. Okay, what's that take? Three trucks. We're talking about a very small amount of people. And then, and then to, to sell it to the majority of the union members, um, they'll just talk about security. And, and, you know, if we don't do this, you, you won't be able to pay, uh, feed your family and yada, yada, yada. A truck driver has got to stay rolling. A, tr a truck driver doesn't have more than five weeks worth of money saved up. And this, this uh, whole dispute is going on more than one or two months. And so they're being funded. It's being artificially sponsored by the FSB. And I only, I only point to the FSB from my personal experience. The key question here is you've got a number of, of leaders who are materially benefiting. Uh, they also see this as an enhancement of their power because they're getting material support. Um, they are learning or, or involved in, in criminality that again enhances their power and status. How do you then drive a wedge between those who are unlikely to change their behaviors because it is not a normal civil dispute? They, they it, For them, it's almost like a, a criminal enterprise. How do you drive a wedge between them and actually the rank and file that they depend on? for part of that power and status are you are you able to create an alternative narrative for you know the rank and file as you say who are only concerned for you know their uh their their business their income their family um how do you how do you dissolve the narratives that are being manipulated um by those you know ringleaders to uh to, to get the rank and file to do what they want okay so the first thing you do is you uh look for accents 
there there will be there will be uh, maybe one or two uh, Russian dudes, FSB um, agents, and uh, the way you pick up on them is they'll have a different accent because they're not part of the normal truckers stuff. Like their behaviors, the way they speak uh, will be slightly different from the other Polish truck drivers. And so you, you, you figure out who they are, the ringleaders, right? And then you go, you engage with the, uh, the other guys, the normal guys, and it's about communication and you just listen to their story and you listen. Then you, then you, you focus in on them and their personal story and you they'll have issues um you you go through each one of them and what you're doing is you're creating a foundation uh with the with the uh uh the normal guys you get that connection and then all you do is like when when the guy with the funny accent comes over you'll ask him the same stuff and he will not engage with you uh to talk about his family and stuff he's all about getting this operation to work for the fsb in this case, right? You just tell it, you, you, you just, uh, you, you don't have to say anything because uh, the, the union member's not stupid. And then after that conversation goes, and I know this sounds kind of uh, manipulative, you go, well, what's with Joe? He sounds, he, he doesn't seem to get it, does he? And the, uh, the, the union guy will go, no, he doesn't. It'll be uh, what you do, you've just created a different social status like them and us. And then you go, well, you know what? I think he's full of shit. And um, some, sometimes you can do this within seconds and sometimes it takes a few days, but you just point out that their, what their, their requirements are different from your requirements and that there's a conflict and they don't match. And if you guys are really about security and your family, why don't we, go, why don't we just all go talk to, uh, you know, transportation minister ourselves? You know, we all know his address. We just show up there and uh, knock on the door and say, g'day. You know, you just create a possibility where you circumvent you bypass the the leadership which doesn't know what's going on they're not connected with their members instantly the uh the union ceases to be a union they can go create a different type of union and that's what happened in australia uh, the siemens union um was absorbed by the wharf workers union uh, in in the in the early 90s on 13th of november Ukraine and Poland have actually held talks at the country's border aiming to resolve the issues caused by that strike, which has severely slowed cargo transports. The talks were not successful so far, according to Ukraine's Deputy Infrastructure Minister, Sergei Dekach. Polish truckers, you know, are they really in a bad position? And you'll quickly find out that Polish truckers in their, uh, I think, called cabotage, uh, where you... or Inter, interstate uh, trade within the European Union have a huge market share for road transport, anywhere from 22% to 30%, depending on what year the report you look at. They're not in a bad place. Since 2004, they've dominated the road traffic um, in the European Union, and Polish truckers are not suffering. So there's a instantly that's like, well, <clears throat> if you're not being paid as a Polish truck driver, then your boss is fleecing you. That's basically what's going on. Um, you're not wanting for loads. And so, uh, yeah, the, the discrepancy between the actual requirement of the people doing the work, the truck drivers, um, and the what the leadership want, it 
it doesn't gel. So straight away, you know that it's an FSB operation and they're paying off the uh, ultra right wing groups in that uh, are leading this effort. Now, why I say that is that Poland, interestingly enough, is one of the nations that has a huge amount of trade unions. You only have to have 10 people um, registered in your union to register as a trade union. And so what will happen is you'll have many thousands of trade unions and then they'll be conglomerated into groups. And uh, eventually you get to three um, umbrella uh, unions. One of them is transportation. And I don't see anybody, um, transportation includes train traffic. And I don't see the train drivers striking, do you? So there is an article for interstate trade um, uh, inside the European Union, which governs cabotage. Um, cabotage, just for viewers who don't understand, cabotage is when you have a foreign truck driver come into, say like from France, go to Germany, then there are, there are rules about how many loads that they can handle while they're inside Germany, and then they go back to France. So in the United States, for example, it is uh, a United States truck driver will go to Canada with a load, uh, and they're allowed to bring a load out, out of Canada, and that's it. But in the European Union, they're much more flexible. They, they let you do two, three, four loads um, uh, or drop-offs. Um, so you've got a less than full load, an LTL, and you can just go to four clients, multiple areas inside a nation, and then come back to your originating place. Well, there's an article, uh, Articles 101 and Article 102, that govern that kind of trade. And uh, uh, they really specifically talk to um, monopolies. And uh, if you develop an unfair advantage uh, due to a, uh, what do they call it? Uh, they, they specifically use the word undertaking. If, there, if, if a uh, body engages in an undertaking such that it creates a unfair environment, trading environment, uh, I think that's Article 102, Section A, then um, that's illegal. They're, they're, they're working against the spirit of the law. And so you just take it to court and you'll have a good case to argue that they are in, in fact uh, doing something that's highly legal. The impact, right, um, that this is having you see lots and lots and lots of trucks um, parked and waiting. Last I heard, it was anywhere up to 5,000 trucks or 3,000 trucks. But you've got to put it in context. The impact to Ukraine's war effort is low. It's not what the propaganda... Russian pro, Russians want us to all talk about, oh, my God, this is really, really, really bad. Even if there's 3,000 trucks, do you know how many trains that's worth? It's 10. Yeah, 10, 10, your average freight train um, would get rid of this uh, blockade in, in a day. Like your freight train traffic would get rid of it in a day. So the actual impact upon um, Ukrainian uh, logistics, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a pain in the neck, right? But uh, it's not as big as what Russia wants you to believe it is. The truckers' crisis. Truckers from Ukraine have been exempted from seeking permits to cross the Polish border since Russia's full-scale invasion. 
of Ukraine in February 2022, and firms from Russia and Belarus have been setting up Polish entities, Polish truckers have explained. Polish truckers want a return to a limited number of licenses for Ukrainian truckers, a demand that Kiev said it would not consider. The blockages may be affecting critical supplies of energy resources for Ukraine, which is suffering from constant attacks. And as we know, as we enter into winter and the colds come perhaps a little earlier uh, than it typically does, and we've already had intense snowstorms, this, of course, becomes a critical issue. LNG is the most heavily affected by the situation, with gasoline and diesel to a slightly lesser extent. Crucial imports from the Baltics are also being affected, not only the imports from Poland alone. If they keep on working at the same pace as now, a truck that arrives today will cross the border and get home at about Christmas, one Ukrainian trucker told Reuters. Drivers also have been complaining about the harsh weather, and as I said, we have already started to see the first heavy snow, frost, and minus temperatures in Poland and Ukraine. A representative of the Committee for the Protection of Polish Truckers, Jacek Sokol, said drivers from both sides should meet to talk and try to work an agreement out together. But is this just a typical trade dispute? This story suggests that it's not. We're going to dive into some of those details about potential dotted line connections to Russia. According to the Ukrainian Infrastructure Ministry, an average of about 40,000 to 50,000 trucks cross the border with Poland per month via eight existing crossings. That's twice as many as before the war. Most of the goods are carried by Ukraine's transportation fleet. Now, only a few of these vehicles per hour are getting through the Polish border at the blocked checkpoints, say Ukrainian border guards. Now we're going to look at an article that appeared in the Euromaidan Press by Maria Trill, and it's dated the 23rd of November. Now, this article really stands out from the international reporting. If you look at most of the international articles uh, from the foreign media, they tend to recycle the same messaging. They tend to recycle the superficial reasons for the strike, very few of which actually hold any water. And none of them even hint at the fact that there is a strong Russian trace within the Polish truckers' blockade. It is alleged in this article that the organisers of the Polish trucker strike at the Ukrainian border have close ties to Russia. Some of those ringleaders supported Russia's occupation of Crimea, and some voted against condemning Russian war crimes. The official organiser of the protest at the Ukrainian-Polish border is Rafal Mekla, the owner of the transportation company Rafal Mekla Transport. He is also, as it happens, head of the far-right party Confederation of Freedom and Independence Chamber in Lublin, which is known for anti-Ukrainian rhetoric and close ties to Russia. In particular, the leader of the party, Janusz Korin-Mika, has called for the recognition of the Russian occupation of Crimea. In 2015, Mika also visited the annexed peninsula, where he met with the Russian Occupation Administration head, Sergei Aksyonov. Earlier, Deep State, which is a Ukrainian website, 
that maintains a map of the front line also reported that Corin Mika defended Russia's proxies in eastern Ukraine and tried to justify the existence of the proxy statelets that Russia has established there, the so-called DNR and LNR, the Donetsk and Luhansk People's Republics. As per Guildhall, the Confederation Party is also affiliated with another right-wing Polish party, the All-Polish Youth. Its former leader was the leader of the Confederation of Freedom and Independence list in the 2023 Polish Sejm election campaign. The All-Polish Youth Movement has long-standing ties to Russian imperial movement, it is alleged. In particular, it was involved in recruiting fighters for Russia's proxy forces in the DNR and the LNR. Additionally, the article claims that the Confederation of Freedom and Independence of the All-Polish Youth Organization and others, in addition, the Confederation of Freedom and Independence and All-Polish Youth organized joint events. For instance, one was the Euro-Skeptic Sovereignty March held in 2019. The all-Polish youth movement also has ties to the paramilitary white right-wing radical group Kadruzny Polo, which cooperates with the neo-Nazi group Rusish. The group is currently fighting in the Russian army, according to the Guildhall study. Another key political supporter of the Polish blockade of the Ukrainian carriers dispute is the Confederation of the Polish Crown. Grzegorz Brown, the leader of the Confederation of the Polish Crown, met with the organisers of the strike and the co-founder of the aforementioned Russia-linked party, Confederation of Freedom and Independence. At the beginning of the all-out Russian invasion, Grzegorz Brown was the only member of the Polish parliament who voted against the resolution condemning Russian war crimes, adopted after the Russian army's massacre of Ukrainian civilians was revealed after its retreat from the city of Bucha. He has also consistently taken a position against the presence of Ukrainian migrants in Poland. Brown is the author of the slogan, Let's Stop the Ukrainization of Poland. Other key figures within these movements also have links to the Belarus military hierarchy. The report also claims that Pio Trans Company was participating in other pro-Russian actions organized by Rafal Mechler Transport and a number of other Polish companies demanding the lifting of anti-Russian sanctions. The Guildhall study also points to Russian connections to the organizers of the blockade of border crossings with Ukraine in Slovakia. On 21st November, Slovak truckers began blocking the passage of trucks towards Ukraine through the Vishni Nimeki Ushgorod checkpoint six days after the Union of Road Carriers of Slovakia threatened to block the Ukrainian carrier's border crossing from its side. According to that study, the rally organized by UNAS was supported by the anti-European right-wing radical party, Ars Slovakia. Earlier, the party advocated restoring friendly ties, quote, with Russia. Its leader, the Slovak politician Marian Kotleba wrote a letter to former Ukrainian President Viktor Yanukovych in 2014 comparing the Euromaidan revolution to terrorism. Meanwhile, 
Rafał Miekla, organizer of the protest on the Polish border crossing with Ukraine, wrote on X Twitter that Polish carriers intended to block the Ukrainian-Polish border for more than two months. According to Miekla, the protests have filed an application to extend the action at the checkpoint until the 1st of February 2024. Earlier, the protesters planned to strike for two months until January. That clearly has been extended. According to Dirkac, the protesters' main demand that restoring a permit system for cargo transports between Ukraine and Poland is unrealistic because that permit system was abolished by the Ukraine-EU transport deal in place until June 2024. And if you look at some of the other demands they're making, they either have the characteristic of being unrealizable, but also many of the grievances they're airing do not actually fit with the reality of the huge Polish transportation industry and the relatively small threat to it from the Ukrainian truckers. However, Ukrainian experts have said that the border blockade is damaging not only for Ukrainians, it also affects economic relations, it disrupts supplies, but it also puts relations between two key partners supporting Ukraine's defense against Russian aggression under severe strain. And it must be pointed out in closing, as Dmitry Shulga, program director of the International Renaissance Foundation, has said that as far as he knows, none of the Polish business associations, those who are genuinely representing the interests of their members and genuine economic interests, none of them have lobbied for this decision to start the protests at the border and to block Ukrainian truckers. No doubt we will revisit this story, because if, as we suspect, there are not genuine economic causes behind it, it means that an honest negotiation on economic terms will not resolve it. If, as we suspect, it is political and is driven by Russian active measures, then these protests will continue as long as they are in the strategic interests of Russia, and in particular, its aggression against Ukraine. And it may require the Polish government to step in in a harsher way to enforce the rule of law and EU trade regulations.